we don't tend to think seriously enough about our condition in our sin, mm. the way the Bible describes it. That's right. When you get that, it magnifies the glory of God's grace in saving us through Christ because what he does to save us is way more than we tend to think. Yeah. When you get the fullness of this that the Bible describes us in Ephesians 2 and over and over everywhere as dead in our sin, mm. then you realize, oh, th- this is hopeless yeah. apart from Christ. Yeah. And what we need God to do is not just go light on us, cut us some slack, but raise us from the dead. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, everyone. You're listening to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Grun, and I'm one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm joined this morning by my dear friend Ryan Chase, another one of the pastors at Emmaus. And uh, this morning, we're going to jump back into our Statement of Faith episodes um, and moving on to uh, just some beautiful, beautiful truth. Um, this section in the Statement of Faith is titled, The Gospel and the Application of Salvation by the Holy Spirit. It's a long title. It's a long title because there's a lot covered here, and um, we're we're just calling it now. We're doing this in two parts. There's no there's no way to cover all that is covered in this in this section in just one. There are four subheadings. Um, the first one is just the gospel, which is the best, and then three subsections that cover the various stages of what is traditionally been called the ordo salutis, which is just Latin for the the order of salvation. How does that gospel then become applied to you in 2023? How does the death of a a man in the middle of Palestine in, you know, around the turn of the millennia, 2000 years ago, mean anything to you today? Uh, how is that applied to you? How is the work of Christ applied to you? So that is our aim. We're just going to try and cover the first two, the gospel, and then this first subsection of effectual calling, regeneration, and conversion. <laughs> there's plenty There's plenty to talk about here. So uh, let me read this first subsection called the gospel, and then we'll, we'll kick this around. And really, I was, I was thinking about this this morning, that this out of all the statement of faith, the statement of faith is confessional, right? It's a systematic distillation of all that the Bible teaches. Um, so far, we've we've hit a lot. We've hit about talked about the triune God and creation and uh, man's sin and the person and the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit and all these things. Those are all just verses in the song. H- here is the main chorus. Here is where everything has been going toward. Um, so th- this is just this is the best. So the gospel, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and all that he did in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension to accomplish salvation for humanity. Therefore, the gospel is not a human action or achievement, but rather an objective, historical, divine achievement that remains true and unchanging regardless of human opinion or response. The gospel stands as the core message of the Bible. 
which in all its parts testifies to God's saving acts and culminating in the person and work of Christ. The good news is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, providing hope for the lost and abiding comfort and strength for the believer. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Amen. That's the heart. That That is the... All these other doctrines, all these other statements are all abstract until they find their way into redemptive history. Mm. And here in the gospel, as described, we have the pinnacle of redemptive history. Everything was moving toward the cross and everything flows after the cross. Mm. Um, so Ryan, just as, as, we, as you hear that again for another time, what, what stands out to you mm. in this text? Yeah, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It, that's too important to assume. Mm. And we teach on this in our foundations retreat. Um, we start here because the gospel is a familiar word in Christian circles, but it is amazing uh, when you get around Christians, how often that's just assumed mm. and and not clarified. What What is the gospel? Um, I've... You know, I've often tell the story how teaching high school Bible, asking that question to kids who grew up in church and in a Christian school, oftentimes, you know, the answer is, well, the gospel is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that, you know, that's true. Those are the gospels, the that's accounts true. of Jesus' life as a genre, that those those four books of the Bible. But when you drill into it, what is the actual message? What is the good news? Uh, and sometimes as Christians, we can just stumble through trying to encapsulate of all the things we believe how do you boil that down? What is the heart of that message? Um, and we have to have that crystal clear in our own minds mm. to benefit from it so that it can function in our lives. And so just to have that stated so clearly, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 is one of those places that really succinctly sums that up. Christ died for our sins. Yes. Um, of all the other things that the Bible talks about, like you said, it, it all aims at this and um, finds its culmination in this reality of what Jesus did in his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. So um, that, that these objective facts, I think it just stands out to me that it's totally essential that we are clear on that. Yes. And as I said earlier, like the, the other sections we've gone through are are more abstract, more principial, more categories that we distill from the reading of the text of the te- of the uh, scriptures and that we then put into different categories. What does the Bible say about God? And then we make conclusions. What does the Bible say about this and that and that? Here, the gospel, we have the interpretive key to all of the Bible. Mm. It, it Christ and him crucified is the hermeneutical key that unlocks all of those crazy texts that you've read in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy and and Kings and all mm-hmm. the rest, mm-hmm. all of those stories, what unites them? We take this book, right? This book that we all love and cherish, the Bible. It's 66 books written by 40 plus different authors over 1,500 years of history across three different continents. Like if we were to take that same project and take those same, that, those same requirements, you put together a, a book made out of 66 smaller books written by 40 plus different authors over 1500 years ago, you would have this <laughs> chaotic, ununified mm-hmm. story. But 
what is the thing that unifies the Bible? What is the thing that, what is the main thread, the spine that goes through the entire thing? And it's this, this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the hermeneutical key that unlocks all of those texts, unites them together, binds them together, and really fuses them in such a way that Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus on the road to Emmaus is able to say, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the Bible was written about me. And he begins to explain those texts, everything concerning himself. Mm -hmm. So Jesus self-acknowledges that this, he is the interpretive key. So that, that's just, that's so critical for me because I think what it does is it, it reminds me that the gospel is not a systematic theological category alone. Mm. The gospel is the story of the good news of Jesus Christ, who was a real, who is a real Mm. person who actually did live on this tangible earth. How often do we just put in our mind, go to some other realm where this all happened at like like Narnia? No, this happened here. (laughs) This happened in our history in our story. And um, it just, it grounds the Bible back into my actual life. Yeah. Yeah. Something has happened on this planet that fundamentally and forever changed the course of history and, and not just in an abstract way, but changes my life. Mm. That my guilt has been dealt with that there is salvation from death for me. Yes. Uh, just the reality that we're all going to die. We're all going to die for our own sins. And God has done something about that. So when, the statement of faith says here, the gospel is not a human action or achievement. If you were to survey people and ask, what is the gospel? I think sadly you would find among many Christians, that kind of response about, um, you know, seeking salvation and trying to do our best. And, you know, God, God cuts us some slack, but, but we're trying to obey him and, mm-hmm. and do our best. This is just clarifying. The gospel is not about our action. Yeah or our accomplishment at all. It's about what God has done in history through Jesus Christ. And that line there, it remains true and unchanging regardless of human opinion or response. Mm. It's not dependent on whether or not it's believed or liked or received. It just, Jesus has done something. Mm. When he hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, that is an authoritative declaration. He has done everything that is necessary to save his people. Yeah. So Jesus has acted. What say you? Yes. <laughs> that's the gospel. Yes. Um, so if that's the, if the gospel as described there is the objective work of Christ to secure for himself a people, right? That to win for it, to defeat death and secure for himself a people. It's the power of God for salvation for all who would believe. Now that has effect, right? right? So this next section is then asking the question, how does that apply to me? Mm-hmm. Not not so much how does it apply in a systematic, you know, mm-hmm. let's talk through the category. How is it good news to me? Mm-hmm. 2,000 plus years later, how does this now, what does this do to me? So this next section entitled Effectual Calling, Regeneration, and Conversion begins uh, that beginning of the Ordo Salutis. Uh, so I'll read that here. God commands the gospel to be proclaimed to all people everywhere and all people, but all people are spiritually dead and unable to respond to this saving news. Therefore, God graciously and effectually calls to himself those he chose to save in Christ. 
through the proclamation of the gospel, the Holy Spirit regenerates, regenerates the elect and brings them into a living union with Christ, bestowing new spiritual life, opening their eyes to see God's glory in Christ and enabling them to respond to the gospel in faith and repentance. With a renewed heart and mind, we receive Christ and rely fully on him for salvation, turning from our sinful, self-seeking way of life to love and follow Christ in joyful obedience. Only those who respond to the gospel in this way will be saved. Yet even this response is a gift of God's merciful grace, ensuring that he alone receives the glory for our salvation. Man, Mm -hmm. once again, a lot there. Um, but essentially, this is diagnosing our problem, bringing us back to our natural state, man's sin and its effect. That we are, the, the good news of Jesus is that he dies to save sinners. And the bad news is, is that we are dead in our sin, mm-hmm. right? It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. But all people are spiritually dead and unable to respond. So what good is good news if I'm unable to respond to it? Mm. Well, it's like if you die... And you're dead now of some disease and there's a cure and the headlines and all the newspapers announce there's a cure, but you're dead. You already died from the disease. Yeah. Too bad. Right. How does it benefit you? How does that benefit you? And so here, this calling, God calls out, he, as Jesus describes, his sheep hear my voice, right? They hear his voice. Well, how does that happen? Well, he has to raise people from the dead. Yeah. That, that's what needs to happen. If we are, according to Ephesians chapter, and there's countless texts that we could go to, but I think Ephesians chapter two, one through 10, probably gives the, the most wonderful, succinct mm. diagnosis and then prescription of what has happened of, but you were dead in your trespasses and sins and walked in the ways of the world, caring about the, the desires and gratifying the desires of the flesh in which you once walked. And you were following the principalities of the earth and you were by nature children of wrath. Mm. That's what you were. In your sin. But God, verse 4, which is just so apt, but God, being rich in mercy, made you alive in Christ and raised you with him. So when Christ was raised from the dead, which is part of the gospel, that now you who are united to him are raised with him and are seated with him at the right hand of the God the Father. And, and now you benefit from all of that. You are you are saved by grace through faith, so yeah. no man may boast. Yeah. Uh, I think another way to think about this whole section of the statement of faith, like you said, how does it apply to us? Another way to frame it is, what does God do to us Hmm. when he saves us? It's one thing to say, God saves sinners. What does God do when he saves us? And the reason this section is so long is because in saving us, he's he's doing a lot of things. Hmm. And one of those is this work of regeneration that we're talking about. It's not the only thing he does when he saves us. There's a lot more to come, but regeneration is a crucial part of that because we were dead in our sins. And we don't tend to think seriously enough about our condition in our sin, hmm. the way the Bible describes it. That's right. When you get that, it magnifies the glory of God's grace in saving us through Christ because what he does to save us is way more than we tend to think. What is our problem? You have to get that right to understand what the remedy is. If the problem is, well, we make some mistakes here and there, but we're doing our best and we just need, um, you know, a little encouragement along the way, or we need somebody to cut us a little slack and just remember, Hey, we're all human and nobody's perfect. And well, if, if that's our only problem, we make some mistakes and we just need God to cut us some slack. You're going, you're, 
view of salvation is going to be that that's what God does. He he cuts us slack. Yeah. When you get the fullness of this that the Bible describes us in Ephesians 2 and over and over everywhere as dead in our sin, mm. then you realize, oh, th- this is hopeless yeah. apart from Christ. Yeah. And what we need God to do is not just go light on us, cut us some slack, but raise us from the dead. That becomes, you know, I heard somebody say once, it's like, if, if somebody's dead on the floor, you you can't say, well, hey, if you could just get yourself over here on this operating table, these doctors can can help you out a yeah. little bit. You know, get yourself, your dead body up off the floor onto the operating table. You, right. you can't. Right. You, what you need God to do to you is actually raise you from the dead completely, yeah. which is why I think when we're dealing with this realm of effectual calling and regeneration and conversion, in our minds, it's like, it's hard to wrap our minds around this. Right. How can dead people respond to a message that they can't hear because they're dead? Yeah. Well, the answer, they need to be made alive. And and this section particular, if you've been around Emmaus Road Church to some extent and maybe have heard us talk about our shared values, um, th- this is what we would put under reformed soteriology. Uh, so that word soteriology comes from the Greek word sozo, which means to save. So this is a the study of how God saves sinners. Um, and these three in particular, effectual calling, regeneration, and conversion, in this particular order of events. Right. That's why I remember this is called the Ordo Salutis, the order of salvation. That is a unique thing to the Reformed tradi- tradition as opposed to the Arminian tradition, which would switch a couple of these around. Mm-hmm. For instance, they would put effectual call, they would put conversion before regeneration. So, w- and to play that, as you said, God is calling out to us. And because we are dead in our sins, we do not hear. In fact, we are walking away. That's what that Paul's point in Ephesians 2 is you were dead you were dead and you were walking in a different direction mm-hmm. so it's not like we are all just waiting around waiting for somebody to tell us where to go we are actively hostile in our sin against God and want nothing to do with him mm-hmm. so the effect God sends a call out and a different tradition the Arminian tradition would say well those who turn around remember that's what conversion means to turn those who turn God makes alive regenerates mm-hmm. That would be the, a different tradition than we are. What we're saying is we are walking away in hostility and want nothing to do with God and are dead in our trespasses. God calls effectually, and that word's really important. It, it has effect. It does stuff. It And the, the effect that it has is bringing alive those who are elect, the yeah. bringing alive those whom he's chosen. In a sense, making his sheep hear his voice. And when they hear it, they turn. That's right. They're made alive and they convert. They mm-hmm. they turn. I think this is probably most beautifully depicted. If if you're wondering, like, well, okay, how do I? <laughs> yeah, how does that work? How does that work? I think this is a really a really helpful analogy. Is just the Bible itself. How John portrays the the resurrection and the response of Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Right. Lazarus is dead in the tomb. He cannot respond to Jesus. He cannot go out can't and hear, can't hear him, can't walk, can't, he's dead. Dead people don't do anything but be dead. And so Jesus then calls Lazarus, come out. That's He calls to him and that regeneration, he's brought back to life. And now he's able to respond by actually coming out of the tomb. So th- and that's really important. Jesus doesn't just raise him from the dead and he just stays in the tomb. Yeah. He commands him to call out come out. Mm -hmm. And and that's really important too. It's not just 
we are made alive, but we are made alive in order to turn from our sins, to put off the old man and take on the new, which is Christ. Right. Yeah, that, that picture has been so helpful to me over the years to understand. When Jesus gives a command, Lazarus, come out, it, this deepens our understanding of what the gospel is. The gospel is that call. When the yeah. gospel is preached, Jesus died for your sins, repent and believe. That gospel message has life-giving power. God's spirit works through that message being preached to do in dead hearts what Jesus' command did to Lazarus. Again, you think of the absurdity of commanding a dead person to come out. Why would why would you bother telling a dead person to come out? Why would you bother talking to a dead person? They can't hear you unless those words carry with them. They're not just words, not just a command, but they are life-giving words mm. that raise Lazarus from the dead. And the reason this is a contentious thing or the, the thing that people kind of debate over is, okay, well, did God choose me or do I choose God? And I don't think there has to be any tension there. When right. you think about Lazarus, well, did Lazarus want to come out of the tomb? Sure, after he was raised to life, he willingly came out. So, you know, if you had a reporter on the scene right after to go up and interview Lazarus, did you choose to walk out of the tomb? Did you walk with your own free will, one foot in front of the other out of the tomb? Well, yes, but only after he had been made alive. So right. it's absurd to talk about what Lazarus wanted to do until he had been raised from the dead to even have a will right. and to have legs that worked right. so as to be able to walk out of right. the tomb. Could, I mean, there's countless ways. He's, he, we, we needed our heart of stone to be replaced with a heart of flesh that could actually feel yeah. and actually respond to the gospel. We needed, we needed essentially, we needed God to act. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18, where he just says, because you look at the world around us and there is an objective word that goes out, right? So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the word of the cross, we, let's just shorthand that to the gospel. What, what we said in the first section, the gospel of Jesus Christ, him, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, all that he did in order to, to secure salvation for his people. That word, that gospel has two responses to it from two different types of people, right? So he goes, for the word of the cross is folly. So that's a response. People thinking it's, this is stupid. What? Uh, who believes in those fairy tales? Is folly to the type of person who is perishing, but to us who are being saved, which would be the other type of person, response, it's the power of God. So what separates those two people? We have the one thing in the middle. We're all looking at the same object, but some people see foolishness. Some people see the power of God. Mm. What is it that does that? It's it's the gospel effect of bringing people. It's it's the, it's the difference between death and life. Right. People who are perishing, people who are being saved and being alive. Yeah. The alternative would be to say the difference is located in us. That mm. we there's something about us we're maybe a little bit more spiritual, a little yes. bit more moral, a little bit more in tuned to these things or responsive to God or whatever. But then we would be taking credit that some, there's something about us that's better than something about those people. Right. And the gospel humbles us. We know that we can't take any credit for this, that right. we were dead in our sins. We were also blind. And unless he had opened our eyes or raised us from the dead right. or opened our ears to hear and understand, we would also reject it still. Yes. And, that's, and Paul ends that great section of Ephesians 2 by reminding you of that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. <laughs> it is a gift of God. Not, just to repeat it, not a result of works, so no man may boast. But then he goes on to say, we are his workmanship now. Because he has called us to life. Now, we have been given 
task. We've given imperatives. We've been given commands mm-hmm. created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So yeah. notice the walking has changed. We're still walking. It's a different direction. It's a different, and that only could happen because of the saving work That's of right. Jesus and the regenerating work of Christ. Yeah. So I, that effectual call, I think there are other powerful pictures in scripture that help. Um, Paul says in second Corinthians four, that God who said, yeah. let light shine out of darkness has caused the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ to shine in our dark hearts. Right. So Paul says, what happens in our salvation is like what happened in creation itself. Yeah. God spoke, let there be light. And again, same exact idea of, what do you mean, let there be light? There is nothing to shine. There, there, it's Nothing exists. How Ex can nothing do anything? That's right. Except the word of God, he spoke and it happened. So his word is this creative power that creates light and he causes light to shine out of darkness. And Paul says, that same God did that same work in us by causing the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ to shine in our dark hearts Yes, through a word. What is that word? Well, it's as the gospel is proclaimed, light goes on. So if if you think about your own conversion, your experience, you go, once I did not understand, I didn't get it, I rejected it, and and then the lights went on. Hmm. You didn't turn the lights on. It was God giving life. That's what we're talking about, the effectual call. Or... Ezekiel 37, when uh, God brings Ezekiel to this valley of dry bones and he asks them, son of man, can these bones live? And he wisely responds, oh Lord, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So smart. You know, as a human, you're thinking, "Uh, no. But if God is asking you that question, I, I defer to you. And so then God commands Ezekiel to speak to the dry bones and say to them, live. Hmm. Again, speak to bones? What? What can they do in response to that unless the word has carries with it this this power that God works through that word to yeah. give the life and then the bones come together and they're connected and they become you know covered in skin and muscle and tendons and and then they then Ezekiel God says to him now now command them to breathe mm. and they breathe so that that command that's what we mean by the effectual call that the gospel is preached and it comes with the command repent and believe right. And God works through that proclamation of the gospel to raise dead sinners. And the message, the accomplisher of that message, and and the one who is working in all of it, in both creation period and the recreation of our hearts, is the word, the logos, who John calls Christ. The Christ, Jesus, who affected and brought into being all of this. It's from him and to him and through him mm-hmm. are all things. And so therefore he receives all the glory alone. So that's right. Just a majestic just this is this this matters to us. It's not just systematic categories that are put off into a shelf and talked about endlessly about mm-hmm. where to put words and why is it important. Like this matters for us because it matters that Christ did this for you. Yeah. And for me, we were those dead sinners. We were those dead sinners, not just some abstract, oh, those people out there, but that was me. This is my story. So as we walk through the Ordo Salutis, as you walk through this order of salvation, we can identify and locate ourselves among all these in in our own personal lives. So just uh, our prayer at Emmaus Road is that the gospel would function. And that's, as we think on these matters, this is how it functions. Um, And so 
that's our prayer as we walk through this and we'll finish up this on the next section of this. So part two coming, cliffhanger. There are more blessings. Can you believe it? There are more blessings that are promised to us in our salvation. So uh, till next time, Ryan. All right. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.